Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. This episode is brought to you by Oracle for Startups. Hey, all, welcome back. This is Chris Jonu, and this is Startup Grind Global Podcast. I'm your host. And today we have a, a major guest. I loved this interview. I spoke with Maximilian Tayenthal, founder and CFO at N26. If you have not heard of this, you will. Uh, it, you're probably not living in Europe, but uh, they're certainly taking the US by storm now as well. They have a one of the world's first mobile banks. And um, to kind of put this in perspective, if you think about you know, the, the lifespan of fintech, um, these guys started in 2013 and launched their first product in 2015. So right there, you know, clashing with the titans and um, trying to push this technology through. And he goes through the story from starting as a, as a you know, prepaid card for, for kids and then the, the evolution to this this you know bank and getting that license through to just you know a crazy scale to fifteen hundred employees um, and they operate in you know twenty four markets across Europe generate over two billion in, in monthly transactions and he goes on to talk about the you know the the launch in Brazil and New York and and everywhere else and N twenty six is also backed um, well they've raised over five hundred mil and they're backed by some of the biggest in VC. Uh, they got Insight Venture Partners, GIC, Tencent, Allianz X, Peter Thiel's Valar Ventures, Lee Kashi's Horizon Ventures, Early Bird Venture Capital, Greyhound Capital, Battery Ventures, in addition to the members of the Zalando Management Board and Red Delphine Ventures. Super smart guy operator and enjoyed every minute of the conversation hope you do too cheers welcome max thank you for joining me we are very lucky to have n26 uh, one of europe's you know uh, largest fintechs joining us tonight um how are you doing over there max i'm doing well thanks uh, thanks uh, thank you for having me thank you thank you and and um i'm gonna ask you know covid related stuff are you, is, is uh, germany okay uh, we are okay. I think we are about to get into the second wave. I think like like many countries uh, around the globe, but uh, I think everyone has learned to deal with it quite well. Absolutely, and um, we'll get into how that's impacted business. I'm hoping it's uh, you know um, put you on even uh, you know a, a great trajectory. Um, but let's go back. I want to start with a little bit about your you know your background, and I usually start with the question: Was there a mother or father that was an entrepreneur? Uh, well, my, my parents, they had like a, a small enterprise, but um, it was um, like, I was actually above 30 when I become an entrepreneur myself. Like uh, in retrospective, I'm actually quite sad that it wasn't um, more like for my friends and myself of an obvious choice. Yeah, Like all my friends, you know, they were looking at banking, they were looking at consulting, they were looking to go into corporates. And that's also like uh, where I focused 
my studies on. And uh, I did all kinds of things, like started in strategy consulting, was working in a big corporate assistant to the CFO and like, uh, like yeah, on the board of a couple of subsidiary companies. Then big career pivot, uh, was actually joining a big uh, law firm where I was doing corporate M&A. And just in my, <clears throat> my early 30s, I actually decided to get up with a friend let's do something ourselves, let's do something more entrepreneurial. And in retrospective, it's by far the most meaningful thing I've ever done, literally in every dimension, like starting from the impact you can have on people's life uh, over the excitement I feel every day walking to the office, like uh, over the steepness of the learning curve, uh, like to uh, how exciting it actually is like to to make your vision come true so uh, for me it was absolutely the right choice and i would have loved to like start it perhaps even earlier and also my recommendation to people like in their studies like really also look into entrepreneurship like uh, when you do your internships for example you should also uh, do at least one internship within a highly scale environment and if you feel it's the right thing for you you really love the dynamics you love the execution and make uh, and you love making things come come uh, like true. Um, it, it should be really like a career path you should consider. Absolutely, it's addict addictive, right? Um, and can I? But can I ask, right? You know, on that, um, uh, you know, the, the the consulting and the kind of the corporate um, the corporate start, right? And I imagine that was um, was that was that your parents wanting you to go, you know, like, you know, my parents were the same, you know, make sure you, you know, try and get a good job and, 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 you know, lawyer, banker, that kind of thing. Um, did you, did, when you went into startup land, did you find that truly beneficial to have, you know, have that experience on your belt? <clears throat> yeah. I think everything like, like, like obviously um, <clears throat> if you do a job, like with a lot of dedication, I think, um, when you do like when you're in your first jobs you're learning a lot and I always also tell people like select your first jobs like where you can learn the most um, look left and right what's your future colleagues and if uh, it's inspiring personalities of whom you can learn a lot I think it's it's, it's definitely a career path that makes a lot of sense so definitely uh, it was helpful but at the same time if I would have uh, like worked in startups before I think it would have been easier to find my own startup it's also my co-founder is a very old friend from school time, but he was, he decided after studies, also during the studies, he did also like, he was, was doing internships in investment banking and strategy consulting. And just afterwards, he realized, okay, I want to do something more entrepreneurial. And then he was joining the internet incubator, Rocket Internet. And that was, uh, and then uh, we liked each other and uh, we, we had talked before, should we do something ourselves? But then we said, okay, let's do it. And then we entered in the banking space. And I was, uh, he had um, worked on some of the fintech topics of Rocket Inter Internet, uh, Internet Incubator of Berlin. And I had a regulatory background, which was especially at the beginning quite important when you want to enter such a highly regulated environment as banking. Absolutely. And was it, was it, was it seeing what he was doing that kind of, you know, you know, led you to get, you know, get excited about entrepreneurship? It was, um, I, I, I think it was, it was really, we had, we had the vision um, to, to build something ourselves and we saw the opportunity, we saw the historic opportunity. Um, when we started in 2013, we believed, and uh, I always say, I also believe this uh, until today, that financial services is the area most ready for disruption. So 
we felt it was an area of tremendous opportunity. And that was the reason we said, okay, here we see something, we see this massive shift in user behavior, like it's a shift you've seen in so many other industries before from offline, like I now translated to the financial services, people used to go to the bank branch, to online, people did banking on the browser, to mobile, people did banking on the smartphone. And then we looked at the interfaces of the big uh, banks like worldwide, and we realized they, they like the online and mobile interfaces, they very much resemble the internet of the 1990s. Like no one was really providing a great digital user experience for digital natives. And there we thought, okay, here we really see an opportunity to do things differently. And I think the second point was, we also looked, it was also like, I'm really quoting like uh, very, very early day pitch deck. Um, we also were looking at all the industries that had already been disrupted by new technologies. And we realized that disruption was never coming from the inside. So um, like uh, the travel agencies didn't fund booking, Blockbuster didn't uh, found uh, Netflix, the record labels didn't found um, like um, Spotify and so on and so on. And we said, uh, it won't be the big banks that really change the way how people around the world do their daily financial transactions. And then we thought, okay, um, we can uh, we can change that. We can go become competitive with the big banks and uh, provide a better product than them. You know, like the the core product in banking is the current account, and that was the the, the area we had, we picked, and we believed we could be truly disruptive in that regard. Absolutely. And can I say, like, can you talk a little bit about the early days? You know, like, you know, I've talked to a few fintechs over the years. And if you're talking like, you know, you said 2013, 15, right? Um, there wasn't all this kind of infrastructure that you could build on at the time, right? So can you just talk about like, you know, how the vision kind of, you know, you know the dream became a reality? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's true. We found it in 2013 and it was before like the fintech wave came. So when you thought about fundraising at that time, it was especially for fintech, it was, uh, it was not so easy to raise any capital. And in, in, in fintech, it's especially difficult uh, because you have the hen and egg problem when you, uh, when you do fundraising, you know, like you need uh, money to get traction but you need, uh, uh, but you need traction to get money. And so it was really like a very slow process, you know, raising 450K, like thousands of euros. And then, you know, like uh, working on stuff that it was like a million. So it was a very like slow development at the beginning. And uh, also um, at the beginning, we had a little bit uh, like different idea or like quite different idea. It was a small idea than what we're working on today because at that time we already thought about like banking should be disrupted. But, you know, founding your own bank when you're barely able to raise like half a million euro, it sounded like too big of a vision. And so what we actually started to work on was we launched a prepaid card for teenagers. So it was a pocket money card connected to an app for the parents and the parents could steer the functionalities of the children's card so they could block and unblock it they could set limits they would always see when the kids are doing transactions and then we were working on this uh, product and they brought this product into a beta phase and then two things happened one our beta customers didn't use the product 
for the kids. Uh, they rather use it for themselves. And also gave us the feedback, like, why do you restrict yourself so much? Um, like, uh, when I think about my account experience, it's actually also broke. And we also thought, um, you know, as a founder, or like, basically, I think as, as, as most of the people working in startups, you think about things in categories of disruption. So how can you really, like, disrupt a value chain? How can you really change people's life? And we realized, um, like, as I said before, we could actually be competitive with the big banks in their core market. And that, of course, much more disruptive, uh, becoming competitive with Sparkasse, with Deutsche Bank, uh, with BNP, instead of like building a niche product, like a pocket money card that you can then like sell perhaps over the counter of, of Deutsche Bank, which is like the much, much smaller product. And then we also looked at it and said, actually, we are not even that far product wise, because if you look at, if you look at the elements of a modern bank account, it is, an, uh, it is like an app. We had an app at that date. It is a card. We already had a card program and it is an account. Um, and we even had like accounts to charge, the, like to, to load the prepaid cards for the teenagers. Like on the regulatory side, obviously it's a quite different setup, but at least from product side, we said we are actually not that far away from playing in a much, you know, in a different league to playing a much bigger game. And then we took the product off the market, raised another funding round, and then we launched. Uh, and from day one, the impact and the interest of people was a totally different level. Uh, really, really cool stuff. So it, it's almost like perhaps if you had the money to launch the way you want, you wouldn't have got the, you know, you could have ran out of funds pretty quick and, and not got the, you know, the insight you needed. And also the... Um, it's also interesting because I know that um, a lot of the you know early fintechs had trouble in the end getting the banks to support them, and maybe if you weren't um, just focused on the you know the kid niche, then you wouldn't have been able to get those bits and pieces that you needed to kind of you know essentially compete with them um, down the track. So 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 what hap what happens next when the the next the next after the next release? Um, you mean like uh, you mean like uh, like now in the future or like uh, yeah yeah uh, yeah no 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 uh, after sorry I'm just trying to go through the the timeline here so you you raise some money you get the feedback from the kids thing you launch the new yeah. product this is now yeah. N26 or did the was it always N26 that was no it was at the originally it was papaya and then we said like we're doing a rebrand and actually for some time we were even testing the market and we were doing our second round it was then the seed round like first it was a pre seed round with a couple of angels. And then we did like a seed round. And then, you know, for a couple of weeks, we were having like, we were pitching both stories kind of, you know, we were having like uh, kind of two decks and we were also testing the markets because we knew we need some, we need some cash, a significant amount of cash to build that. And then like, we felt, we felt comfortable. Um, we felt comfortable to pivot our business model. And also like, I remember it was like us, like my co-founder and I, we had like a small office and the rest of the team was still working on a teenage product and we were already working on the other one, but we didn't dare to tell the team because like we weren't sure yet whether we could raise funds for the, for the, for the new story. But, uh, but, we did. but you did. And, and so um, I imagine there was just a few, there would have been a few key investors that saw the, the big vision, right? Is that how it kind of fell into place? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, like absolutely. But it was still, you know, like big investment. Like then we raised like 1.2 million euros. And that was just what helped us to get the product to launch. And then in January 2015, we launched and with a waiting list of 50,000 people already. And then it was literally, it was three months 
testing the market. You know, is the product market fit? Is there really interest for the product? And then we were going for our own bank license. It was like a, a two-year project, but um, we actually realized in, 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 in Germany, like we had a partner bank, but uh, there was a couple of things that didn't work out that well. So we realized if you really like, you know, uh, uh, want to disrupt the, the value chain, we need to have our own bank license. Um, like one, um, like we entered that market, as I said before, tremendous opportunity because it's populated by old fashioned, slow, boring players that show little innovation, like traditional banks. And now we had a setup where we had to have a partner bank. Like we were partnering with, with such a player, you know, having a core banking system, which was 40 years old. And I remember we had like an integration with TransferWise at the beginning, like two startups integrating with each other. And it took, the, uh, it took us two months to complete that integration. And then it took us three months to get the signatures of the respective partner banks. So uh, in terms of time to market, obviously quite like a difficult one. Like second, we needed to have the freedom of choice in terms of technology. Um, our uh, banking partner, like they had a core banking system, which was more than 40 years old, you know, written in programming languages, uh, barely anyone speaks anymore. And it was a super inflexible system. And then the third one, uh, and that's also different to other markets. Uh, in Europe, the, uh, the fintech market is still not that developed. And so at least at that time, it's also getting better now. Um, we didn't have a lot of choice in terms of partner banks and we didn't get a good pricing. For the US, for example, um, when we launched uh, in the US, we actually have a partner bank there. But the, um, there have been banks specializing on that growing uh, to, to white label the license for this growing fintech ecosystem, you know, starting from PayPal more than 20 years ago. And you have a much more competitive space and technology like of those uh, white label banks is more advanced. Um, so the setup in the US is working much better and um, we can also like maintain that setup for the next years. So for us, it's always what's the product we want to provide to our customers, what's the user experience we want to provide, and what's the problems we want to solve, and then we select the proper setup for that. In Brazil, for example, different story, we are, we are like entering a license, we are, or we're getting uh, a charter first before entering the market, because it's easier there, they have generated like charters for fintech, so it's different strategies. But next big, step, big milestone was like building our own bank, which is, it took us like uh, six months about to prepare the application to the regulator. It took uh, the regulator a little bit longer to decide on that one. And then it took us another like five, six months to migrate the last customer to our own platform. So we've been um, like, uh, within two years after launch, we had actually migrated all the customers on our own platform. An entrepreneur launches a startup because she was personally frustrated with her bank. Hi, it's Mike Stiles, and this is Meet the Startups, brought to you by Oracle for Startups. Ever get frustrated? It could be the start of something big. Arushi Joshi was frustrated. She lived overseas and couldn't do even the most mundane of banking transactions remotely. It was a constant hassle. Even today, she's still locked out of one of her accounts. So she started AtCash that deals in remote trust and identity solutions. It simplifies all kinds of transactions, like closing a home, getting something notarized, opening an account, all digitally and remotely. The technology addresses many different use cases, but getting it done requires a cloud with powerful and elastic compute and storage at a startup price. 
Arushi says running on Oracle Cloud and Oracle Blockchain gives her the infrastructure she needs. Plus, she has an enterprise partner for strategic insight and support. Now, the world has a few less hassles. Meet the startups asked at Cash founder Arushi Joshi what kind of businesses are first to adopt identity and trust solutions. Well, the benefits are endless. Whether it is imagining an online closing process done entirely remotely or online, or attesting or notarizing documents, or even digitally onboarding customers. This technology can be applied to any use case where you need to use audiovisual technology or have evidence for customer consent. Not having enough help and computing power can give your startup a headache. Take a look at Oracle's startup program at oracle.com startup. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Um, uh, these these young guys walking in asking for a bank license. I bet there's some funny stories there. Yeah, it's actually um, at the beginning. Um, you know, it it, it, lo it looked extremely big, but um, it's. I think like I also talked to other founders. Like whichever space you're entering, it comes a little bit with a demystification. You know. Uh, it's basically there's a checklist say it has a 40 it has 40 pages and it's a very technocratic process in a way um, if the uh, if the regulator you know if they can tick off all the boxes you get the license if uh, they tick off all the boxes but five because you don't have the management and the capital in place you don't get the license so there's no <clears throat> there's little um, room for ambiguity or there's little room for, uh, for negotiation it's a very deterministic process in a way but it was um yeah, it's definitely like a very different culture and i remember when we had like fifty thousand customers like uh, it was summer 2015 we didn't have a single person at n26 that has worked a single day in retail banking we had like uh, you know a couple of former investment bankers uh, like some people that uh, used to work on like like trading floors say but we really we literally didn't have <clears throat> anyone who had worked like in, 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 in retail bank before. So we were actually doing banking without bankers. And then this has changed. So we were forming our own entity. We kept it separate. And we say like here we have like one entity where we're bundling all the regulatory knowledge. And then we have, you know, we have another company that's our tech company. You know, we have the more agile functions. You have the product managers. You have the growth functions. You have uh, technology and so on. Do you, do you think that like looking back, that was your advantage, you know, not having maybe people in the organization that were um, from retail banking or whatever, and then therefore perhaps, you know, you know, approach things, you know, uh, thinking there was limitations where you guys, you know, perhaps didn't, you know, refused to, to believe they, they were there until you, you know, you kind of got hit over the head with them. Do you think it was an advantage, you know, with no you know uh, not having some of that knowledge yeah I, I think there's definitely like an advantage coming from the fact that we are technology company by genetics so if you think about it there's a lot of banks that have an outsourced it company n26 is an it company with an outsourced bank so for example if you think about our our business case uh, you need to understand the cost side first because uh, you know we're charging less fees compared to traditional banks we don't have like a big loan book so our revenues are naturally smaller 
than the ones of traditional banks. But uh, why can we still be profitable or perhaps more profitable than traditional banks is because we are operating at different cost base. Like one, we have like modern IT systems, like uh, very scalable, much lower IT costs. We were the first ones in Europe uh, mm. that were working entirely uh, cloud-based. Uh, yeah. Second, we have like a lower customer acquisition costs. So um, we know that most of our customers are joining N26 because they've been exposed to the product by friends. So there's a lot of virality and uh, we are very uh, religious about our product and every investment we are making in the product is actually an investment in customer acquisition. And the third one is, you know, we don't have overhead costs. We're not investing in a branch network. If you're walking through our Berlin offices, it looks obviously very different than if you look, if you walk through the boardrooms of traditional banks. So um, I think it's a very different mindset and it's a very different, um, you know, like it's a very different setup. And I think for really finding the best talent, which I think is crucial today, I don't think, you know, a, a lot of people, um, you know, that are working in, one, in some of the, the, the greatest tech companies, you know, if they move to Berlin, I think for them, they wouldn't like to join the IT department of a traditional bank. They want to like work with more modern technology. And I think for us, I think this is very important. And we, we, we believe it's easier for us to find uh, good talent than it is for traditional banks. Can, can we talk about that for a minute? Because this is really interesting to me. If I, if I get the story right, you've got two guys, finance backgrounds, you know, entering the you know, tech world. Um, it sounds like you were, you know, obsessed with, with customers. So you've got, must have like, you know, this design thinking going on as well. How did you go about kind of, um, recruiting, building that team out? <clears throat> we, um, you know, we, uh, first we, uh, we, we, we started with, um, like, uh, we started in with interns, you know, first money we raised and then we had our head of operations and it was an intern and then we hired our head of, uh, people. And it was also an intern. So basically, we um, at one point in time, you realize that the story of building up a startup is a story of giving away responsibility. So uh, you feel that it's a people's business and, you know, people are recruiting at HR is very important. It's actually key to success is, you know, finding the right talent, onboarding them properly, retaining them, putting the right tools in their hand, engaging them. Um, so... What we, what we always thought is very important, we, we always were very much focusing on finding the best talent. And, you know, at the beginning, it's, it's, it's also interesting, like, um, because today we are paying so much more for the people. But I think uh, if people want to work in an early stage company, it very much, you know, they're looking at the team, you're selling them a team and you're selling them a vision. And that's, uh, and that's obviously like then, uh, still important until the end. So I think it's 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 um, it's there it was always a lot of focus on getting the right people on board. And I think what's interesting for our business, it's an extremely scalable business. So it's not that we need you know like twenty thousand um, like employees. If we have, if we're building the business properly, it shouldn't matter whether we sign up fifty customers tomorrow or fifty thousand customers tomorrow. Like which is very different compared to traditional banks. So we can really afford to pay like, uh, I say top of the market and we can really afford to also get the, uh, the best talent. But uh, it's still like, I still find it interesting like at the, at the beginning that you from beginning on actually get a lot of talent 
um, you know, when you still cannot pay like, uh, like high salaries, but people that actually believe in the story, they take equity for that. And I also think that moving to Berlin was a very important decision for us. So we said like, like why did we move from Berlin? We found a company in Vienna. And for the first month we thought, should we move to Berlin or should we move to London? And eventually we decided for Berlin, like moving away from Vienna, like from my perspective, what's important about that, it was really about finding the right people. Uh, I believe you have to work in a certain, uh, you have to have a certain mindset to work in a startup. And Berlin is so much hyped as the European startup capital that you have a lot of people moving to Berlin that have exactly that mindset. They actually want to work in a startup. And um, if you if you if you look at N26, but it's the same for other technology companies. Uh, we have 1,500 people. We have 80 different nationalities. Not even 3% of these people were born in Berlin. Not even 10% are German speaking, um, you know, more French and Italian speakers than, than German speakers. It's a very interesting market here. It's easier actually in Berlin to find an Italian copywriter than a German <laughs> copywriter. Or it's easier to find like a French customer service agent compared to a German customer service agent. Absolutely. And, and was it like, as you're getting this, you know, I love, I'm just interested about the team and how people scale and I'll get onto that as well. Uh, but, you know, one more question around the, um, the talent. Is there like when you're now hiring for jobs, um, you know, for positions where you have no expertise whatsoever? Um, you know, I mean, I, I remember um, the founder of Invado, he was talking about, it almost used the, um, the interview process to, to kind of like, tell me what you do to kind of find out about, you know, how they kind of handle the, handle the role and, and, and what they've done. And, and how, how do you kind of um, recruit for something you know nothing about? No, it actually happens. Like it's for me, you know, I would now not uh, recruit the hardcore tech people because it's just not my area of expertise. But where it happens actually is when I interview like bank people, you know, <clears throat> we are building up a compliance function and, uh, um, like a risk management or certain aspects of risk management. And what I usually say is, what's the, because I always think in categories of, of problems, because in our stage of a company, there are a lot of problems. I always think like, should I do that thing? Is this actually solving a problem for me I'm having? And I would ask that person, what's the problem you're like solving for me? And like, you know, I would say, you, you know, we make you uh, from 100% compliant to 110% compliant. That's not that you know, that's not that exciting. But if you say, okay, actually my work can have an impact because uh, eventually you will have like um, a higher, you will have like, um, like a better user experience and that's how it's working and that's how I can help with that. Then I find this like inspiring. So I, I always like, I always try to, I think I do the same, like using these interviews uh, to really like, you know, uh, get an understanding of, of how this is actually helping us and whether it's the right time already to build up such a function. So uh, on the on the on the scaling bit, um, is, is you know how um, what is the kind of thought process with how you scale the operation? I mean, um, I just did an interview today, so I'm, I'm kind of it's fresh in my mind. But it was very much we can see we have a lot of users in Brazil, right? Is is it very is it geographically driven? How are you kind of scaling scaling the operation globally? Yeah, uh, perhaps actually like to, to answer like the, the two aspects, like how are we scaling like internally and like where do we think yeah. the, the markets are? Um, <clears throat> because there was also a lot of learnings. Please, okay. um, 
until uh, like mid last year, like every six to eight months in the past, we doubled the size of the customer base and every six to eight months, we doubled the size of the team. And we always said, okay, the biggest cost we're having is the opportunity cost because we don't have enough people to tackle all these no-brainer projects. And scaling actually worked quite well and the output was constantly rising. But then <clears throat> there was kind of an inflection point. Like last year, we were like starting you know, with uh, 500 people and then we were scaling up to, just in some months, we were scaling up to 1,500 people. And you know, in the end, that was extremely extremely challenging so uh, the most experienced people did nothing but recruiting people were getting onboarding of someone who had like just started a couple of weeks before it became even like difficult to provide proper office space people uh, didn't get like we didn't get the vision across anymore and you know in a great scaling company you know you double the size of the team and you get four times the output because people can can specialize <clears throat> and um, we actually thought, okay, um, we are like tripling the size of the team and perhaps we just get 20% more output or 50% more output. And then we realized, okay, we really need to curtail the growth and first really make people like, like, like uh, you know, onboard people properly, make them productive. And actually we didn't grow um, our operations anymore like in the, last, uh, in the last year. I think we still like changed a little bit like certain positions here and there. But in general, we said, okay, first of all, we need to stabilize the business. And then we basically have to build a foundation that we can later like, uh, like grow again. And I also, uh, I talked to, to many founders and um, like, you know, companies that became bigger than ours. And then they also, everyone pretty much said, you know, we had these phases of hyper growth. And in the end, you know, you have like, if you're looking at all the KPIs you care about, uh, suddenly you invest a lot. The burn is like tripling like year over year. But actually you realize that most of your KPIs are not moving in the right direction or like barely moving in the right direction. So it's like there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, almost erosion, like in a lot of areas of, of, your, of your operations when you're growing too quickly. Um, in, terms of, in terms of customer base, um, N26, uh, the vision behind N26 uh, was we wanted to build a pan-European bank, which is actually unique because the banking market in Europe and I think uh, globally is extremely fragmented. It's fragmented like no other market. Like uh, you have French banks for French customers, you have German banks for German customers and so on. Um, and N26 today, we're the only ones that based on one IT platform and one banking license onboard customers mm. all over Europe. And that's also key uh, to our business model because again, like costs are scaling very nicely. And uh, you know, you're building up one core banking system uh, you're building up, uh, you're making the process integration once, you're building your KYC modules uh, like, um, like once, and then you, can, you have to try to reach as many customers as possible with that setup. And we also realized that the financial needs of the customers throughout Europe, they're very much alike. So if you think about a working product in, in, in Germany, like uh, it's not like 100 different features you need. Uh, people wanna have a place to store value, they want to have a means to pay, they want to save, invest, they might need a credit, like it can be short-term, long-term, secured, unsecured, um, but that's basically it. Like um, you can think of uh, FX perhaps, like uh, one or two other functions, but this is exactly the same what you need, like in Germany is exactly the same what you need in France and in other markets. And if you think about like, what's a good digital user experience, it also looks the same 
in Germany compared to other markets. And we realized, you know, we internationalized. Today, France is growing stronger than Germany, for example. And then uh, our vision became bigger. And we said, okay, let's build the first global retail bank and let's go to other markets as well. Like what I usually say, good news is in terms of building a global retail bank, you don't have to go to the 194 countries on this planet. But if you capture European Union, plus the US, plus perhaps like seven other markets, you capture about 70% of the worldwide banking revenue potential. So uh, three, four years ago, N26 was mainly a German company uh, and 90% of the growth was like within Germany. Today, like 80% of the growth is outside of Germany. And you know, in five, six, seven years from now, there might be 80% of the growth might happen outside, uh, outside of Europe. Well, APAC, APAC's next, right? It's an interesting market we are looking at. Obviously, I, you know, we are really not going deep, but, um, you know, U.S., uh, uh, why did we pick the U.S. like as the first market? You know, it was uh, the biggest financial market in the world. We're also writing our equity story for future IPO and, you know, being successful in the U.S. would also be like a compelling story to do an IPO in the U.S. We also realized it's, a, it's an extremely fragmented market. You have like 6,000 banks, like most of them local also no great digital user experience. So like interesting market. But then we actually ranked, you know, of this, uh, I said like it's about seven other markets you need to launch in. And we ranked all these markets according to various like categories, you know, accessibility of the market, regulatory environment, size of the addressable uh, market, competitive environment. And there was one market that really stood out in almost all dimensions. And that was Brazil. In Brazil, you have this oligopoly of, uh, you know, just a couple of banks that are really squeezing out the customers. Um, like, just like one, one figure related to that, like the, the biggest financial, uh, like in terms of revenues, the biggest uh, financial service market in the world is the US, which is a no-brainer, biggest uh, economy in the world. Second one is also a no-brainer, it's China, the second biggest economy in the world. The third one is definitely not a no-brainer, it's Brazil. Like it's the 10th biggest economy in the world, but like, you know, in terms of revenues, the banks are squeezing out of the people there, they actually rank third. So uh, we believe it's a very interesting market uh, for our uh, value proposition to make. Well, I've got like a mindful of your time and I would love to talk about China. I saw the, um, the investment from Tencent on the, on the, uh, on the CV there. Um, but I did want to talk about roadmap and kind of, and vision, right? And I just wanted to ask the question, you know, how do you, if you're, you know, if you're pioneers in, in this industry, how you kind of continue to innovate without looking and staying focused without, you know, kind of, you know, worrying about what the competition does. I'm just kind of curious as to how, um, you know, you, you, you project towards the future. <clears throat> yeah. Um... Our vision is to reach 100 million plus customers around the globe. So, meaning that we wanna, you know, we wanna, we have to launch in 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 more markets. Definitely. Again, we have built this product with so much emphasis, with so much effort, and now we wanna bring it to as many customers as as possible. And also, like if you think about like the size of the ambition. Um, you can build a startup one or the other way. Like my co-founder and I, we decided very early, we don't want to sell N26 for a couple of million euros to some other bank, but we really want to build this first global financial institution. And, um, you know, in terms of getting 100 million customers, 
uh, in all honesty, you know, in Europe, I think you have 400 million accounts. I think that would be too much, too ambitious. But, you know, if you're entering the U.S. with another potential 300 million customers, uh, like adding uh, Brazil with another 250 million potential customers and so on, I think this goal is getting more realistic. In terms of competition, also competition is quite fragmented. And what I usually say about competition, like um, I think every business model, every business has, has, has its merits. And there's, um, there's industries where competition, watching the competition, or being stronger than competition is extremely important. Um, uh, I always uh, think about like uh, if you're having, if you're building a messenger app, you know, if you have like four friends that are using WhatsApp, you won't end up using Telegram. The same as the, with a social media platform. It's almost a natural monopoly in a sense with extremely strong network effects. Like if you think about banking, it's definitely not the case. So um, we're not looking too much at competition, like which could come, you know, from traditional banks. It could come from the digital companies like, you know, Amazon, Apple, we know like Google, some of them are doing something in that space and it could come from challenger banks. Why I'm not so much concerned about competition is because I believe there is literally like billions of customers on the market in the next years. It's like literally everyone around the globe is still banking with the big high street banks. And as soon as a growing number of customers, and uh, we can say about at 50 or about at 70% of the customers are not going to the bank branch anymore, the only thing these customers are going to perceive is the look and feel of the online and mobile products of the banks, which as we discussed, are quite poor. And customers are also not longer willing to pay for branch network they are not using anymore. So I think that there is a lot of customers that are actually willing to change to a more modern solution. The interesting thing is what I also like, uh, like, like sometimes think about is that this transition is much, uh, happens much slower than what we have seen in other like uh, industries. You know, everyone uh, switching from booking all, the, all our travels like in the, in the, in the travel agencies to uh, booking everything online, it was like, it was a transition of five years. Like us, like buying our like CDs in the record store to us downloading everything over the internet was a transition that took five years. And you know, with banking, it's like a transition that is taking decades, but it's a slow, but still a steady transition. And I also think uh, that at least, you know, we were talking about COVID-19, uh, before, uh, like uh, I think COVID-19 is in our industry as well as in other industries, it's facilitating, it's like, uh, like uh, accelerating this transition to digitization. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was the, you know, the bit around, I'd never buy shoes online and then I'd never buy TV online. Yeah. And, and then now, you know, I talked to a family friends that have a car dealership. You say now with COVID-19, people just buying cars online you know it's like so it's that it was unheard of um so even in our so industry i would say that like you know mortgages or something really big you cannot conclude mortgages online i just i think it was like one or two years ago i learned that the majority of mortgages in the u.s are already sold online so actually there's a lot of industries we haven't thought about also like investment advisory um i think if you have a good digital process it can be much better than what is uh, provided on average like if you go to your bank branch absolutely well, um, Max, thank you. Thank you very much for your time um, this evening, your morning, um, and um, really appreciate having this conversation with you and, and best of luck. I, um, I'm sure you're going to get to that. Um, it'll be that 100 million on the wall. We get tore down pretty soon. and It'll be a, a bigger number. So 
Yeah, Thanks a lot. Soon, Take care. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.